Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's Word. Come on, y'all. Give the Lord a big hand. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Y'all may be seated. Wow. Great, great job, guys. Great job. Praise the Lord. I appreciate that so much. Hey, uh, we have our uh, new Revelation chapter 14. If I can get maybe three or four guys to come down and pass those out. No one has a copy of that. Uh, so everyone gets one. Let me go ahead and jump into Revelation chapter 14. See somewhat of a changing of direction, if you will, and images of God's victory and the beast defeat and this re-mention of these 144,000 that we saw first mentioned earlier in the book of Revelation, chapter seven. And who these people are and, you know, I mean, we, we referred to that when we first introduced them to you and there's no reason to believe anything other than they're just literal people. We know what, uh, who they are, they're Jews, Tells us there's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. There's conjecture and that's fine. And I mean, we could probably spend a lot of time talking about this. Some have said that they're saints from the Old Testament and some said angels and all this. I just think that if we're talking about a literal man that's an antichrist, and I think we can be talking about a literal people that are these 144,000. I think that some of the part that is convoluted, that 144,000 is very directly a byproduct of the Jehovah's Witnesses who have made that to be something completely what it's not. And again, as I've shared with you, be mindful of when we're talking about our Bible, which we have been on Sunday mornings, um, Jehovah's Witness Bible has changed dramatically over the years because of that. When they started, it was easy to say there was only 144,000 that were gonna be sealed and, and actually go to that third heaven. And, and of course, when, when their numbers begin to get in the millions, they have to rewrite their Bible. And uh, it's just a very, very, very dangerous proposition. And I say this with no, no disrespect, but I wanna be, again, very frank with you in the context of that. When the Jehovah's Witnesses first wrote that, African-Americans couldn't be a part of that 144,000. They were deemed cursed. And uh, again, that came from their, their justification of that, came from Ham's curse, uh, which all Hamites and ultimately Egyptians came from, which would have been anybody of a dark skin and so forth. And we know, of course, Seth brought forth, uh, I'm sorry, Sham brought forth the Semites or the Jews, and then, of course, Japheth, Indo-Europeans or Gentiles, you and I. But when we're talking uh, in verse one through three, I wanna read that with you. And uh, in the context, this also is somewhat of a summation of, of Daniel in a large degree. And I think that's, that's, a, that's an incredible, incredible reading. If you can read Daniel uh, from an apocalyptic standpoint, of course, and apocalypse means, of course, the unveiling, the unveiling of who? Jesus Christ. It's a wonder that, that people even read the book of Revelation because they're so afraid of it because words like apocalypse, for example. And if you understand what that means, it's just simply an unveiling of Jesus. And... Um, nothing to be afraid of. In fact, it's the only book that says if you read it, you'll be blessed. And so we want to dive right in and, 
and uh, jump into that. Hey, let me offer you this too before I jump into verses one through three. Uh, I hope you're gonna be here Sunday morning. Very special day uh, for what God has done in my life over the last many, many years in writing this book. So we're gonna be revealing that on Sunday morning, both services. So we will have the books here for you. Many of you have asked about that. Some of you already purchased them online. Thank you for your patience. Uh, Stephanie mailed out a bunch of them today. But uh, if you don't have yours or if it's in transit, we'll just we'll hook you up with another one. We're going to be ready to do that on Sunday morning. So I'm so excited about that. So without further ado, uh, verses 1 through 3, Revelation 14. says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. Again, notice when you see words like like, we're talking about a simile there. That's a grammar lesson that you remember, of course. And so we're talking figurative. And he's just explaining, as John oftentimes did, explain things that he couldn't explain. He said it sounded like this or it looked like that. So when we see those types of things, whether a simile, a metaphor, or, or if we feel that it's allegorical in nature, it's okay. And then we can come over to the next verse and he be talking about something that's literal. It's okay to transfer uh, from literal to allegorical and don't get caught up in that in, in such a manner that you make everything literal or everything metaphorical. Then you, you miss the big thrust of a revelation. And again, let me just say this so you understand. This makes it so much simpler when we understand this point. John is writing about things that are going to take place so far in the future that Perhaps they could be, let's just say helicopters, for example, as we saw in a couple of chapters back. And he just says they look like scorpions shooting out this poison or something. I'm not saying that's exactly what it is, but I'm saying it m most likely could be. And that's, again, him just saying that's what I think it you know, looked like in my day. So it'll help you understand that when he's saying words like this. But it says, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Of course, we know that was the elders. We saw that in the early part of Revelation. And they sang, as it were, a new song. Underline that in your uh, notes. Before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who redeemed of the earth. And so I wrote down, and if you're new with us, this is an exposition, verse by verse, word by word, and then I give you somewhat of a commentary. These are a lot of my notes that I gained and gleaned from seminary. And so I'm filling in the blank with you. Some of you like it, some of you may not. That's fine. Um, but what I want you to do is make sure you have your copy, okay? And so you can see cross-referencing scripture and so forth. So without that, it, it might be hard to understand where we're going. So a, a lamb standing before Mount Zion with him, 144,000. And I put these 144,000 were last seen in Revelation chapter seven, where they were identified simply and clearly as a group of Jewish believers who minister during the great tribulation. And I love this. And they are giving a seal of protection throughout that period. Since they now stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb, it shows that they emerge and underscore this, victorious from the great tribulation. So the beast of Revelation 13 certainly has not defeated this 144,000 here as they are triumphant and now seeing worship, worshiping and standing with Jesus. So this is important that this seal that God has placed upon their forehead basically says that they are not going to succumb to the effects of the tribulation period and everything that the beast is gonna cast down upon all people during that season. They're sealed by God's divine protection. And, and when we read that, I, I want that to translate 
to what's going on in mine and your life as children of the Most High God. We are sealed to the day of redemption. It is, it is settled in heaven that everything, watch this, everything that has happened is happening and will happen is already under the blood. And it's already sealed. I mean, I want you to think about that word. That means it is settled, it is, it is scored, it is laid out, it is perfected. There's not a thing in the world that can change that. If you're a child of God, there's nothing that can move you from that standing. And I love that because maybe we look at this, Albert, and we say, well, wow, wouldn't it be cool to have that seal? Let me tell you something. The the, uh, book of Job says that we have a hedge of protection around us. Satan identifies that as he had a dialogue with God. And he said, yeah, I would, of course, consider your servant Job. Of course I have. But guess what? I can't get to, to him because you have a hedge about him. And we even see how that hedge can be manipulated. And I use that word loosely. What I mean is it can be impacted. It can be moved. It can be touched by God's hands only, not by the enemy ever. But it can be manipulated by God, meaning he let, the, let it down a little bit and said, you can touch all that he has, but you can't touch him. And then, of course, Job comes back. I'm sorry, Satan comes back and again in dialogue with God, showing he's subservient to God. And then he goes back and he says, yeah, but he would curse you if you let me do this. And he lowers it yet the last time. And then he's able to inflict upon his physical body boils. But I love the fact that the Bible says that Job worshiped the Lord. In the midst of that, he still worshiped the Lord. And I, and I love when we see this word sealed, even when we're talking about these, because it, it also always shows us that God has the final say. That even during this time of, of evil unspeakable, the likes this world has never known, that God is still in the sealing business. And that he's sealing those that he's basically telling the enemy, you can't touch. These are mine. And that's, that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is not just that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. But also that if I'm in him, I too am already seated in heavenly places. That's the gospel. And that's good enough to tell everybody. Revelation 14 will answer two important questions. I wrote this down. Raised by the previous chapter, the beast of Revelation was terrifying and awesome. He can make war, as we quoted, against the saints and overcome them, Revelation 13 and 7. So I wrote this. So is it fair to ask, quote, is the beast completely victorious over all of God's people? The answer, the presence of the 144,000 of Mount Zion uh, with the lamb emphatically says no. Not only that, but all of the people that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ prior to the rapture of the church, those people who hear the message of repentance, the kingdom of God is at hand. Those people too, but though they'll die for their faith, will also be able to endure to the end and also be in heaven with the lamb. And guess what? That number will be so many that no man can count. You hear that term used a lot. What's sad, Timmy, is that that they have to endure that at all. 
that there is a means and a way, the way, by which they can avoid that. And that way is established and it's present and it's here and, and it's in us. And therefore we should be, listen, among everything else that goes on in our life, if we would just really understand the big picture, that it's not just about what's happening and what's occurring. Have you ever given this thought that what if, and, and I heard somebody else say this. I think Stephanie was in the room with me when I heard it. I don't recall who said it or I, I'd give credit to him. But basically, when, when, when you're the one that God wants to use in any capacity, or let's, let's carry this over to your children, you should not be surprised that all of hell is sending its special forces against you and your children and your family because you are a threat to his way of life. I, I could even give you a physical real counterpart to that. Do you know that was the, that was the Pharisees' main uh, opposition to Jesus? They really could have cared less that this guy was walking around preaching this new message. What they didn't like was the fact that he was changing and confronting their way of life. That's what the enemy's concerned about. Remember, I've said this a thousand times. He's not afraid of you, but he's afraid of who you can become if you'll get your heart and your mind situated and focused on the fact that though he slay me, yet shall I trust in him. If you get that mindset on you, let me tell you something. You can move the dice downfield for the glory of God. But if we step back and we start looking, and this is me too, this is all of us. If we step back in life and start looking at all that's happening to us and the woe is me enters in, then guess what? He's got you. I, I used to think that the, the enemy wants your joy. Can I tell you something? He don't care if you have joy. He just doesn't want you to be effective. He don't care if you're happy. He doesn't care if you're joyful. He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. What? Not just you, but the forward progression of the gospel. That, that's what he cares about. He doesn't care if you live. He doesn't care if you die. He wants, to, he wants to torment you. Sure, he wants to do all of that, most especially if there is a call of God upon your life, upon your family, and upon your children. But you have to stand strong and realize the big picture and that that's the why. The why is because he wants to destroy that progression. Second question has to do with the satanic dictator himself. What happens to the beast and his followers? And I wrote this down. The rest of Revelation 14 will answer that question as we'll get to in a moment. Now look at B, standing on Mount Zion. They gather on Mount Zion because Zion is the ancient name for the hills that make up all of Jerusalem, okay? It is the place where the Messiah gathers his redeemed and reigns over the earth. And I gave you Scripture references to give you uh, understanding of that. Now, I wrote this, and I want you to understand that I'm giving you opposition because if you don't know the opposition, it'll come at you. You don't know how to respond to it. So here's what I wrote. Some commentators see this Mount Zion as the heavenly Zion referred in Galatians 4 and 26. In this thinking, the 144,000 then would be victims of this beast and are now in heaven with Jesus. However, however, everybody say however. That view does not seem to match with the simple context, and it also makes us wonder what God's seal on their 144,000 heads amounted to in Revelation 7, 4. So I wrote this down. 
So here's the answer. The 144,000 are, are likened to the young Jewish men in the book of Daniel chapter three who survived the fiery furnace. Here's what I mean by that. They proved God's ability to preserve his people and write this down beside that, even supernaturally. You see, these 144,000, let me just offer you this thought. They will be the ones who will evangelize people in the post-rapture world. That's their, that's their goal. But hear, hear what I'm gonna say. They're not phenomenal people at their self, at the, the themselves, meaning that there's nothing unique about them other than they have the seal of God upon their forehead. Now, having said that, just like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like with Daniel in the den of lions, it's not so much their uniqueness as it is the fact that there's a supernatural occurrence that's taking place in their life. Because we've said this so many times. I mean, how many of you ever been by, out by a campfire and just being out near the campfire, you walk away from that smelling of smoke. You have, has anybody ever lit a campfire and you walk in, you have no more eyebrows? Has anybody besides me ever been there? Come on, somebody. So here's, here's the thought. It is absolutely, literally, physically, humanly impossible for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to go into a fiery furnace, heated up, mind you, seven times hotter, so much so that even the large men that were bringing them into to throw them in, they were consumed on the spot. It is absolutely impossible for them to go into a fiery furnace. Listen to me, this was so beautiful when God showed me this. I'll never forget, I was in Jamaica teaching on it and right in the middle of me talking, he showed me this. Their clothes were not burned, their hair was not singed, but listen, but the only thing that was burned up and consumed was the ropes that had them bound. Man, that, whoo, I'm gonna tell you something. If you, get, if you can get your head around that, because there was a fourth man. Let me tell you something. No one wants to go through the fire. But nobody wants to live outside of it bound. What if, I got one for you. Some, this is for somebody tonight. I love when he does this in the study of Revelation, right? What if the fire that you so oppose right now is really that which is going to set you free? says it has the father's name having the father's name written on their foreheads i wrote this down the followers of satan and the beast may have the mark on their hand or forehead revelation 13 but this mark just like everything else is but a mere copy of the idea behind the identifying mark on the foreheads of each of the 144,000 showing that they belong to the Father. And listen, this is not unique. If you go back even, listen, even in the Passover, where they took the blood of that lamb and they painted the doorpost and the lintel, if they painted to, so that when Mark, the death angel would come into that camp, he would see that, that blood having been applied to the house and he would pass over. 
But today, the Passover lamb does the same thing in mind in your life when the enemy comes into your home, into your camp, he sees not the blood applied to your door, but to the doorpost of your heart. You're sealed, listen, by the blood of the lamb. And he can't touch you. He can't harm you. He cannot possess you. Oh, oh, let me tell you, he can come against you. He can oppress you. He can lie to you. But honest to goodness, everything that I have seen in this book and I've seen realized in my own life, in my own marriage, in my own ministry, in my children, in my grandchildren, in my parents, Stephanie's parents, ministry at large, everything, 99% of what the enemy does to us is that which we give him to do. How do you do that, Mark? Partly just simply by not, by not knowing the promises that you can claim over your life to repel him away. That, that's 99% of it. I was talking to a precious, precious girl today on the phone and I, I won't even get into what we were talking about, but some things are coming against her physical home and um, they cannot be explained. Just leave it at that. I don't even want to talk about that tonight. But however, I, I, this is what I told her. I said, I can absolutely gather the forces and we can come and pray over your home. Glad to do it. But I believe victory lies in you realizing that you can do it yourself. Because here's the thing. If every single time I need to see a move of God in my life, I've got to call somebody else to be the, let me, he died so that we wouldn't have to have an intermediary. So that I, and you can go boldly before the throne and, the, the, and I told her, I gave her some real practical things. What would you tell her? I told her what I would do. Get you some extra virgin olive oil, pray over it and say, God, I am simply believing that this is a, a picture of your presence. There's no virtue in this oil. The virtue is in the faith that I have in you and the authority of this word. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm not letting anything in. I'm not believing his lies. James 4, 7, draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to me. Resist the devil and he'll flee from him. You claim those things and you take authority over even your home, the doors, the windows, the computers, bedposts, everything. You do that. Now, here's what I told her. If you do that, then you will have confidence in who you are as a Christian. If I come do that, you will just simply think I'm wonderful. And guess what? They're coming back. And, and the Bible says they come back with a vengeance. It, it absolutely says that. That, 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 that you, you may, in theory, wrongly, if you would, cast them out. But the next time they're coming back, they're coming back with, with a party. But if you take authority over your, this has nothing to do with this. So I know this is for somebody. You take authority over your home, over your children, over your grandchildren, especially grandchildren, amen, grandparents. If you, if you take authority, now it may, let me just say this. It may look like you're losing the battle in the right now. But the Bible says, if you have hope only in this life, you're among men most miserable. You cannot look at the right now and go, well, I have one. Let me tell you something. It may feel like you're losing, 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 but can you still praise him? Because I believe that's how you go through the fire. Too many of us want to come out of it. I should write a song right now. 
And who were these people having Father's name written upon their foreheads? And I wrote this down. Not, not B's for Baptist, not P's for Pentecostal, not M's for Methodist. They had the Father's name and nobody else's. Why do I say that? And I wrote this down. Man, what a great deal of fuss that is made on this earth about our denominational distinctions. And when you get to heaven, he doesn't care if you are a Baptist, if you are a Methodist, if you are a Pentecostal, if you are a Wesleyan, if you are a Catholic and saved. He doesn't care about any of that because I wrote this down. Listen to what I wrote down. I said, gosh, where did I write it? Show me, Lord. Oh, when you get to heaven's gates, okay, and ask if they had any Baptists there, the angel would look at you and say no. If you were to ask if there were any Pentecostals or Methodists, he would look at you and say nothing of the sort. But if you were to ask him whether there had been any washed in the blood, sealed Christians, born again children of the most high God, he would say there's an abundance. I, I didn't, I personally, among many other witnesses and, 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 and great men and women of God, I did not launch into this church thinking that we would be non-denominational or interdenominational to prove any point to any group of people. I didn't do that to, to poke fun at my heritage as a Baptist pastor. I didn't do that to speak down to a Pentecostal precious woman of God in our, in our congregation or a Methodist who, who you know, was sprinkled and, and, and maybe now wants to be immersed in the waters of baptism. I did it because I feel like that's what God called me to. Because I just, I just personally, and I, that, remember I showed y'all the, the, uh, the, the, the true north sign? When we, first, when we first started the church, Tyler, you remember that lady called and wanted to know where we, what was we? Because she thought it was the all C and I with a pyramid. No, ma'am, that's not us. That's church across town. But anyway, I'm kidding. But that, that is not a pyramid, number one. It is a direction of travel meant to be that would represent on the compass. And all we were saying, which is saying a lot, is that we're not gonna move from mountain to mountain on every wind of change and every ebb of flow of culture, but rather we're gonna stay true north and set our affection on the things above, true to the word. That's who we are. That's it. And, and, from, and beyond that, it's just, it's just, it's not a hill worth dying on. Again, not in the notes. You won't find any of what I just said. And I wrote this down too. I thought this was pretty cool. I read, I've written, this has been 15 years ago since I wrote it, but I thought this was pretty cool. That there would be sealed Christians and he would say there's an abundance. They are all one now, all called by one name, the old brand has been obliterated. And now they have not the name of man or any other. They have the name of God, even their father, stamped upon their bow, brow, Charles Hatting Spurgeon. That's what he wrote. That, those were not my words, those last. They were his. 
One name, one God, one Lord, one Father. Stamped upon their heads. D says, uh, the voice of many waters, like the loud th- voice of loud thunder. Simply put, we saw in Revelation 1 and 15, 4 and 5, this is the simple, this is the voice of God. Perhaps God spoke here to proclaim his approval of these 144,000. You say, Mark, can you, can you offer any proof to that? Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. When we enter into heaven, we will hear words of affirmation from the Father. Does that, does that blow anyone else's mind? We spend our life, hopefully, affirming him and his worth so that when we get to heaven, we will hear those affirming words, well done, that good and faithful servant. Enter ye in. We spend our whole life trying to clean up our life as a Christian, and we will see Jesus as the lamb, as he has been slain. Holes in his hands, scars, feet, a hole in his side. For all of eternity, he will wear that to remind us that we don't have to. It says, I heard the sound of harpist. Uh-oh, there it is playing their harps. And I just simply put that that we remember that these are the elders of Revelation 5 and 8 who have the harps. Perhaps, however, or maybe in addition to, this is where their music is actually heard. Because in 5, 8, we only see that they have them. Here, the music is heard perhaps to accompany the worshipful singing of the 144,000 as they sing a new song that is unique to them. I uh, want you to write down beside that new song, Psalm chapter 40, verses one and following. One of the most profound to me of all of David's writings. Now I love Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew the right spirit with me, I love that that comes on the heels of Nathan the prophet uh, confronting his sin and he falls to his knees against you, God, and you alone have a sin. You know the, the text. But I like this because it says so much. This just so powerfully visual to me in my spiritual life. He says, I waited for the Lord And he inclined to me and he heard my cry. And also he brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. Listen, and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my steps. The King James says, establish my goings. Here it is. And he put a new song in my mouth. And I have said this without even realizing that it was cited, John, right here in Revelation. I I didn't know it. I just felt like it came from my spirit because we sing songs here and words matter. But here, 
as we're now seeing, even in this particular text in Revelation 14, I made this statement so many times before I ever knew this was going to happen in Revelation 14. Maybe I'd read it, maybe I'd overlooked it. That when you read that, put a new song in my mouth, dash, continue, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. I said this, I made this statement. When God leans into me and inclines unto me, he, he bends into me. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of what we see in Stephen's testimony. When he, he, he makes this statement in Acts as he's being stoned and he sees the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. It's the only, it's the only place besides where we see him in Revelation where we see him standing, because he's seated. Seated speaks of rest and that finished work. He's not, he's not standing with anticipation and, and, and like angst. It's, it's settled. But in, but in Acts, when, when Stephen looks up into heaven, he gazes up into heaven, and he sees, he sees the Lord standing. It, it gives me, it just pictures for me that when I cry unto the Lord, listen to the words, he heard me and he inclined, not reclined, he inclined. You know what, know what that means to me? And I know that's what I tell y'all all the time when you're interpreting scripture. Don't, it doesn't matter what it means to you. Let me tell you how it speaks to me. So I, maybe I rephrase that. So y'all won't go home and say, he said it, but what it meant to him. Is he leans into my problem. And he grabs me and pulls me out of a horrible pit. Miry clay. Why is it miry clay? Have, have you ever got your boots stuck in, in a walk? Anybody ever got their boot or their shoe stuck and, and, and you go to pull it out? It's like, you know, it's just like that suction. That's miry clay. It's not easy to get out of on your own. And sometimes you leave some things behind. But he says, he brought me up and he set my feet upon a rock. And he put a new song in my mouth. And I made this statement. And I'm glad I did because it shows it here. The words to that song that he puts in your mouth are not words that anyone else could recognize. They're yours. They're, they're just your words. And maybe, maybe, Dustin, you're going to like this. Maybe that's that heavenly Psalm 91, just in that secret place, words that only you can speak and only he can hear. And I'm gonna be very honest with you. I don't know what that looks like other than I have spent time with the Lord and felt like I had an encounter and I felt like I had a move and I got up and I can't tell you what I said to him, what he said to me, but I knew I had met him. And it's special. I think we put a lot of stock as we should in words, in songs here on earth. But there, it says, and they sang it as it were a new song before the throne. The 144,000 
now have their feet firmly planted on an earthly Mount Zion, yet their praise, watch this, this Albert, you, you're gonna like this. Albert's singing on Sunday, y'all. Woo, can't wait. <laughs> listen, listen to this statement. They have their feet firmly planted on an earthly Mount Zion, yet their praise takes them right into the presence of God. If you can't glean anything else from that, meet Paul and Silas in the midnight hour when they offered up their praise, though nothing had changed physically and geographically. At the midnight hour, which would really just simply be indicative of the worst moment of the night, the worst moment of their life. They're not getting out of prison. It's not even what they're asking for. How do you know that? I know that because as, as, as there was conversation in that upper room when, remember, was it Peter that went to the door and, and they opened the door, they didn't recognize him because they're like, we were praying for him, but I can't believe he showed up. I mean, it was kind of a weird situation. But anyway, they walk in. Do you know what they prayed for, anybody? They didn't pray for deliverance. They prayed for boldness in the trial so that they could be and do what God's called them to do. And, 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 and so Paul and Silas, and I love this is kind of the translation for me. When Paul and Silas were in that prison and, and they began to sing, the Bible says that the gates of every prison door flung open. Glory. I, I made this statement. Today among us in prisons around the country, maybe around the world, there are people who are geographically in the depths of prison, yet many are more free than you and I walking around free in this earth. Because of that right there. Because coming into his presence is not relegated to a geographical location. That's why it's important to understand that what happens here should be an encouragement to you to do out there. And that, that when you're in that moment, to worship him here at 106 Trent Jones Circle right here, Mainsville, Georgia, 30256 at my home tells me that even though I'm here and he's there, that ushers me directly and physically, spiritually, however you want to call it, in his presence. What song are you singing, Mark? I don't even know the words. What the beat, what's the beat sound like? I don't know. What's it about? Him. We got, we got to go because it, when it hits 801, Awana folks go, it's time. <laughs> if I could just leave you with one thought. I don't know what you're going through tonight, but please know that we're all going through things. Amen. Me included. Amen. And don't, don't believe the lie of the enemy that you're not allowed to fear. Oh my goodness, that's not true. Don't believe of the enemy that you don't have room for doubt. In fact, I think you can have 99.9% .9 doubt. It's just a grain of a mustard seed of faith and you can move heaven and earth. You can have fear, but don't let fear be your pilot. It could jump in the car with you, but don't let it drive. And know this, that if, everybody say if, if you're in trouble, 
I heard a guy preach a message one time. He said, God is in trouble. That's the message. Because the psalmist, psalmist says, he is my very present help in trouble. Not in a time of trouble. Oh, no, no, no. He's in trouble with you. And he wants to show you something big. So don't think that you're getting beat up. You're getting beat down. Maybe you're getting ready for a promotion. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We hope today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at northridgethomaston.com.